0: What is up wrestling fans and welcome to the latest edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Smile Cat Moment channel Where we go back in time, currently for now at least, to the year 2002, soon to be 2003 And check out all of the episodes of Smackdown that Paul Heyman was the head writer for I'm your host as always, Callum Wiggins, and joining me on this journey back in time, as per usual, Robert D. Felice. Callum, we are so close
1: to the end of the year. It's This is the penultimate episode of 2002 SmackDown.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a big moment. Obviously, we only have one more episode to go this year. Then we'll have a little bit of 2003 to cover before the end of it. It's all, all coming together now. Obviously, this is the first show back from Armageddon, which was a big night of changes for the SmackDown side of things, particularly at the very top of the card. But we'll run down how all of that plays out in this edition. But, of course if you're listening to us on the, the youtube stuff watching us along along then do leave a comment below drop a like on the video if you're so inclined to use the applause function or become a member of the uh, youtube channel then do feel free to do so it's all greatly appreciated if you're listening through the podcast feeds like itunes or stitcher or something like that then drop a rating leave a review whatever that platform allows you to do before heading over to youtube so you can drop a comment and tell us how you how you're enjoying the series? How you enjoy this episode? How everything is going? How's your day? Tell us about that. Have you got any problems yeah. recently? Have you like are you enjoying wrestling right now? Or are you not enjoying wrestling right now? Just let us know anything and everything down there. We're always here to listen. Um There's a playlist obviously on the YouTube channel where you can check out every single episode of the Paul Heyman's Back Down podcast from episode one or episode zero technically all the way through to here episode twenty six. And there is a link in the description to this episode of SmackDown on the WWE Network. If you want to check that out before you listen to this or you want to listen to this, then check out the episode, whichever way, whatever works for you. We're all, we're all supportive of that side sort of things. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this episode. So episode 26, um, I've told it an Olympic gold swerve, which doesn't really leave too much room for the uh, imagination of what we're going to be talking about. But um, I think I think that encapsulates this episode quite well.
1: Yeah. You know, this is, this is a big one. This is the one where I think it's safe to say Paul Heyman is now just in a long-term relationship with the Undisputed Championship. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's one of my favorite stories. Especially having watched it
0: back now, I can honestly say this is great. So before we dive into that, let's do our usual thing of checking out some of the news and events from this point in time in wrestling um the biggest story that was being reported in the new the observer newsletter at this point in time was uh surrounding goldberg and wwe's much more intense negotiations to try him bring him into the company um, you, know,
1: you might even say that they felt like their ratings were slipping so they had to call in goldberg
0: yeah so essentially the rumor that was going around at the time was that they were planning on bringing in Goldberg for a match with The Rock at WrestleMania. Now, obviously, as we know, thanks to the uh, look, looking back retrospectively, Goldberg's first match back is, well, first match in the company is with The Rock. Only it doesn't happen at WrestleMania; it happens at Backlash the following month.
1: But at this point, they don't know where they stand with Austin.
0: No, so that uh, actually makes well. Sense. Apparently, there was um, there was a lot of talk backstage at this point in time that Austin was coming back, and they were bringing him back in the, at the turn of the year, but they weren't entirely sure about what he was going to do at WrestleMania. They knew he was going to have a marquee match. They just didn't know who it would be against. Now, so, Sting, I always... Sting doesn't say a lot about WWE, or he didn't before he went
1: there. One thing was he didn't like the way The Rocks spoke to Booker T, and the other thing was they were going to bring him in for some kind of confrontation with Steve Austin at WrestleMania. Now he never says that he was gonna fight Austin at WrestleMania at nineteen, but he does say that they wanted the final shot of WrestleMania to be him staring down Steve Austin at one point.
0: Yeah, so I guess this is the only real chance they could have done it because it's only that or two thousand uh well, WrestleMania eighteen. If that was like the earlier side of it. I saw at least alluded to in the newsletter I wasn't I didn't put it down in my notes but I do recall seeing that um Sting at this point in time was in negotiations well not in negotiations but he was talking to Jeff Jarrett about the possibility of turning up for a couple of shots at t- in TNA
1: yeah
0: he was clearly ready to get back to wrestling and well he was wrestling he was wrestling for uh, oh wait, wrestling uh, I, mean, I mean wrestling in the states not wrestling yeah. in Australia for a weird makeshift promotion mm. Um, other WWE news or at least related to WWE is Hulk Hogan's autobiography was released we talked yeah. about that obviously earlier in, a co- in an earlier episode but it actually got onto shelves at this point in time and it's what you'd expect it's an entertaining yeah. irreverent read and completely <laughs> devoid of any wrestling history It it warrants
1: saying that in an industry such as pro wrestling there's a lot of hyperbole however If Hulk Hogan says something, I now firmly just go, that is a lie.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what the biography is. I mean, obviously, everything has the semblance of truth within it, but Hulk Hogan's retelling of a lot of facts is questionable, to say the least. I I looked through the newsletter and I wanted to see if I could pick out a few interesting things, but legitimately, Meltzer goes a full, like, three or four pages just t- saying basically everything that Hogan says in that autobiography and telling us why that's bullshit. <laughs> it's just like just everything from the fact that he doesn't mention the fact that he was in any way influenced by superstar Billy Graham's look, which is like the most obvious it's thing in the world. Way. Yeah. He is obviously not, I would say a carbon copy of superstar Billy Graham, but come on, he looks exactly like Billy, superstar Billy Graham did, except the fact that he had a, a mustache and goatee. Whereas, uh, Billy Graham just had mutton jobs.
1: Yeah, and he literally took the
0: 24-inch Python's cat trace from Billy Graham. Yeah. He also claimed that he was a shooter in Japan.
1: Oh. Okay. okay. <laughs> apparently,
0: it talks about the fact that his um, first match in Japan was against it was a 20-minute time limit draw against Ricky Choshu. And apparently, they were expecting him to... Sh- well, he was supposed to go a 20-minute time limit draw, draw in Hogan's mind. And apparently, they got some... Um, Concerned that Choshu was going to shoot on him. So he shot on Choshu and beat him in two minutes instead. Whereas Hulk Hogan's actual first match was against some sort of jobber that he beat in two minutes. Not uh, what would be a future superstar main event of the New Japan Pro Wrestling.
1: Now, like... Even just recently, Pep Patterson passed away. And Hulk Hogan's like... Ah, I loved you from the days that I was watching you in the crowd... And I'm like, I I don't buy that. Like, I don't even buy that you were in the crowd watching Pat Patterson. I just think everything Hulk Hogan says is dripping with insincerity.
0: And I just that's a terrible way to look at somebody, but it's true. No, one of the interesting things I read about it in the newsletter was apparently Hulk Hogan before he got into wrestling was working in a bank, and so just a guy looked like that working in a bank. Of course, well, just... no,
1: one of the stories he says I still don't know which. What is true, but one of his how I got into wrestling stories is I was working in a bank and somebody came up and I saw their check and I said, "Brother, I got to do this." But there's yeah. also coming from the same guy who, in this autobiography, says um, he wanted to steal the thunder of the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania six, and that's why he did what he did, where he does the where he presents him with the belt which is not a true statement, which is just something they wanted him to do. And also he says he had the idea on the morning of WrestleMania 9, oh, hey, let me just fuck Brett and let's have Yoko beat him so I can beat Yoko and give it back to Yoko. None of this is true. And I, I refuse
0: to believe anything Hulk Hogan says. Yeah, absolutely. So we won't won't delve too much deeper into it. But if you do want to get some sort of... um like, fictional entertainment from the world of... a fictional world of wrestling that Hulk Hogan has created in his mind from this point in time, then I'm sure it's still available to pick up somewhere if you want to read it.
1: Oh, well, hold um, on. This is this is my favorite Hulk Hogan lie of all time, where he says, I wanted to turn heel after WrestleMania 6 and call myself Triple H, Hollywood
0: Hulk Hogan. It's like, okay, pal, sure. Well, yeah, again, just... It's not even a case of, like, taking everything that Hogan says with a grain of salt. You kind of have to just pour out the whole shaker. Yeah. It. Um, it's just a shame. Yeah. So, other WWE news. So, November 2002 was the worst month for WWE house show attendance since December of 1995. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's just, again, just showing the uh, the downturn. Um, surprisingly enough, uh, December of 1995 was uh, the month after Diesel. Uh, dropped the WWE Championship.
1: Yep. So
0: what do you think about that? Those who say Diesel wasn't a draw, apparently neither well, was anybody. Well, I'll say the months following that all got better past <laughs> the point that Diesel was the, the I, WWE You champion. know, but you would, honestly, you would hope so, because
1: if you look at the state of the company in 95, it wasn't good. And I'm surprised to see that a year that I hold in such high regard, 2002, is doing the worst business since 95, at least up to that point.
0: Well, I will say at the very least, it's pretty much all downhill from here. So it's not like it's not like it gets markedly better in 2004 or 2005 or anything like that. Like, it's a very gradual decline, which starts to plummet around about the mid-2010s. that's
1: so. It's such a weird shame that if you look at the history of wrestling, honestly, after 2001... For some people, wrestling is just dead. And, like, the trends show, even to this day, it's just sloping down and down and down. Uh, other stuff,
0: Jamal was suspended for getting into an altercation with police in early December. Ah, uh, that sucks. But it's, we know that he ends up coming back. Yeah. It's very, like... I don't want to say it's, like, a Samoan trait, because that sounds like I'm generalizing, but I always remember that story that people tell about when the... um I think it was the wild Samoans just... Lock themselves in a fast food restaurant and like just encourage police to surround the building and stuff like that. That's amazing. These, I, they have stories that you'll never hear, and it's
1: just amazing because these people are bad and are badasses enough that I believe that they would do this and stand their ground too.
0: Um, other stuff, they had a um, a reporter from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Spend a day with SmackDown, the SmackDown writing team, to write an article like basically a day in the life of WWE's production team. I don't uh, know whether they do that nowadays. I don't think they would. I I think they should. I think
1: it's high time that even if they do have to put their own spin on it, show us what you know a day in their lives is like. Because we all hear
0: horror stories. They should let people in. Yeah, so Meltzer didn't reveal too much about the entire, like, article, but he said within it this is where McMahon revealed, essentially, to the writer that Austin would be returning at some point in their future, and that um, he'd also banned the word lesbian from their TV shows. Huh. I guess it's a good thing he did that after
1: Armageddon.
0: No, he'd like, he, he, no, he done that, in, well, he done that he after HLA. Like He'd done that, like, in the weeks following the HLA segment. I don't even know how to react because, that. Because, when you think about it, there is not a one point that Dawn or Tori uses the word lesbian I, in, in this entire build-up.
1: No, that's, that's, I guess that's fair. They do the indecent proposal stuff. Yeah. It's... What a silly thing to ban. Especially when you're
0: relying on the skeeviest of
1: lesbian tropes to, like... Try to boost your numbers.
0: Yeah, and to be fair, it was apparently working because Kevin Dunn also predicted in the article that the Torian Dawn segment from last week's SmackDown would be the second highest rated segment on the show behind the main event. And that was the case.
1: That's because he knew what fucking position he was gonna put in. That's right. I mean some of that stuff is able to be manipulated. Whether or not they do it effectively is up to them.
0: But there's also the fact that wrestling fans are trash, and so they probably enjoyed that, so they probably watched that more than anything else on the actual the actual wrestling side of the wrestling show.
1: I'm still surprised that that was on the show that's on network television and not the one on cable at a For later sure. hour
0: um The other bit of news is outside of w w e and so but it's a bit of Japanese wrestling history,, Ooh. which is um Bob Sapp, who we've been talking about quite uh, a bit, and just like his his formative years in um J- Japan. He became both the first rookie and the first foreigner to win the Most Valuable Player Award in Japanese wrestling as presented by Tokyo Sports Pro Wrestle Awards. I'm
1: surprised at this because <laughs> his time in New Japan is not
0: spoken of fondly. It's not, but the guy himself is kind of spoken about as like a bit of a... A gaijin legend for this period so obviously a period of significant downturn for new japan but he was considered one of the the better aspects of it in terms of just just in terms of just personality if not a wrestler um he won it mainly because of just debuting in new japan and his work in the k1 grand prix which Um, is obviously more like shoot shoot wrestling type thing yeah
1: and i mean if you look at this dude this dude is everything you could ever want and a pro wrestler. I can see how he got there. It's just funny to hear
0: anything positive about his time in Japan. I did actually some digging into the awards. He is still, to this day, the only foreigner to ever win that award. There's never uh, been another non-Japanese person to win the MVP. I think
1: that speaks more to... Nowadays, people don't... In general, with wrestling and stuff like that, they're not going to make a splash and be a a big attraction it's more just like i have this love for the brand so it's less on the radar of publications like that
0: i guess so but just just the fact that kenny omega never won that award being the most i think it's because
1: i think it's because omega probably spent a lot of time you know doing the silly stuff in japan the ddt stuff and by the time he became the guy he's
0: also in competition with Okada and people like that. Yeah, but potentially Naito was the most re- recent winner, by the way, which is, I guess, isn't surprising.
1: Yeah, he did. He even said not surprising after the performance he had at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I'm kind of sad because I feel like New Japan nowadays is kind of slipping. Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way, but I kind of feel like the boom period for them is once again on the downturn.
0: Um, I think, I think they're in a period of downturn, absolutely. I, I have to admit that I'm not as avidly watching it or paying attention to things that are going on as I once was. I think that's partly due to just the pandemic bringing everything to a standstill. I think it's also just due to the fact that they pushed Evil as a champion. They're making a lot of, they're falling into a lot of Western tropes of interference in matches and a lot of gar surrounding that side of things, whereas I watch New Japan. I mean, personally, as a thing, I watch New Japan to escape that side of wrestling because I get more than enough of that from AEW. Not, not as much AEW, because they often do a lot of finishes, but definitely Raw, SmackDown, NXT, anything on WWE TV, a lot of other wrestling shows do are heavily reliant on that. And if New Japan is now doing that, especially in their main event scene, it's just... Now, that's not the reason why I watched them. Yeah, and I think to even tie it back up
1: with this time, you look at a Bob Sapp and you look at something even like a Nokiism. at least it's complete a deterrent from where America was at this time. And I think Japan always works best when they are the complete alternative to the States.
0: So that's all of the wrestling news side of things. Let's talk a little bit about the Raw and SmackDown uh, brand warfare. So, as you would expect, once again, SmackDown beats Raw in the ratings. So, this, the uh, 19th of uh, December episode of SmackDown, scored a 3.79, compared to Raw for the 16th of December's 3.5. So, pretty close gap this time, compared to other weeks, uh, following off of Armageddon. I think the excitement about the...
1: Results of the pay per view combined with "Hey Scott Steiner's in the building"
0: might have helped Monday Night Raw potentially. Yeah, the main event segment, which is probably part of the reason why Raw's rating did slip for the next week, was the uh, Triple H appreciation ceremony, where which they was do also this...
1: shared with Scott Steiner's welcome ceremony. Yeah,
0: so so they were doing an on running story during the show, which was. Uh Sean uh Chief Morley had assigned the main event slot for Scott Steiner's contract signing, whereas Bischoff had promised Triple H that he would get the um get his big appreciation ceremony there instead and so Triple H was upset that Um he potentially wouldn't get the main event segment and so he forced Bischoff to make sure he got it but Steiner I didn't really care but he just said that he's gonna come out and um get in Triple H's face anyway. So Triple H gets this big award ceremony, and he gets to talk about how he's beaten everybody. And then Steiner interrupts, says that his raw contract guarantees him a world title match. So if Triple H doesn't give it to him, then he's not going to sign the contract and it'll walk. Which is funny because basically he's drawn the line under ever going to SmackDown. So I don't know where he ends up at this point. They should have <laughs> let him walk. You know, it's like, OK, I'm not going to give this to you. You already told Stephanie now. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Well, at the end of the day, I'm starting to just goes to Triple H by saying that he has no balls, and because that's basically all you need to do to get a WWE superstar mad at you. Boy, and they so, were
1: really trying to cock Triple H hard here, weren't they? They're just God—they're gonna let Scott Steiner sleep with this woman, then they're gonna let his woman basically stay. Scott Steiner can have her any way he wants. Now they're just saying, "Hey, you have no balls." Boy,
0: Triple H is not having an easy time of it. No, and. I guess that would probably play into the booking that would go forward beyond this point, but, yeah. um, but uh, Triple H accepts. Steiner stops, signs with Raw, so that's how you close the episode of Monday Night Raw. Raw yeah. earlier in the night, Shawn Michaels called out Triple H, saying that he feels like the showstopper again, but he was interrupted by Chris Jericho. Obviously, this is the start of a a long running rivalry between these two, which on and off doesn't really end until like 2010, really, which is amazing. Because yeah. if you look at it, the
1: rivalry or the match that they have at Mania, it's almost a one-off.
0: But then always, there's always tension there following that. Yeah. So Jericho says that Michael used to be his idol, but now he's the has-been kid. And just, Michaels' response: How old is Shawn Michaels face? at this point? I just um, probably a lot younger than let's say John Cena is right now.
1: Yeah, stuff like that pops me so much because he was just gone for a few years and everybody's like, You're an old man, you don't have it anymore. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, so Michael's at this point in time would have been 37.
1: Wow. 37. And uh to be clear, you know, even Jericho currently he's fifty and
0: still on top in a promotion. Well, yeah, talk about that. Like Randy Orton is forty years old, yeah, and he was WWE champion a month ago, less than a month ago, and he he
1: certainly doesn't get the, this vibe of oh, you don't have it anymore, you old man. It's amazing how that perception of well, when you were around, Bret Hart was around, so that was like fifty years ago. Yeah, it's
0: very strange how they do that. Another interesting storyline development on Raw was there was a match between Jeff Hardy and D'Lo Brown. We actually talked about that. That was the, um, obviously, when you go back, if you want to listen to the Armageddon review that we did for our Patreon exclusive on the Dark cast thing, um, we talked about that that was the match on Heat, Jeff Hardy versus D'Lo Brown. So they had a rematch from Heat on this episode of Raw, which ended when Jeff Hardy pinned Brown and the referee didn't notice that Brown's foot was on the rope. The interesting thing about that was that Brown later had a backstage argument with the referee, and accused him of treating him unfairly because he was a black man. Yep. So this is leading towards the big... Oh, it wasn't so big at the time, because eventually it didn't actually end up being D.Lo Brown's um, storyline. It turned out to be Rodney Mack and Jazz's and all this other stuff. And right? Yeah, exactly. But this is about Teddy Long coming in as a manager to essentially manage a lot of black wrestlers and go against the... Um, Essentially, people that felt like they were being held down by the white man, and the I think they instituted with Rodney Max the White Boy Challenge. Yep, and you know how that ends? They they do that for quite a while, and you know who ends it? shouldn't Goldberg. Goldberg does. yeah Yeah. Goldberg
1: <laughs> just runs right home. Um. So this storyline, because we obviously won't even go this deep into two thousand three, features one of my favorite builds. That never gets paid off, which was simply, hey, Devon, why is a white man always telling you to get the tables? And they never flip the script and have Devon just tell Bubba to get the tables. So they do the 3D. I always felt like that was a weird, strongly built angle that
0: just never paid off. Yeah, they should have ended that. I mean, you don't want to end it with, again, Barbara Ray and Devon Dudley splitting up after you've just put them back together in 2003. It should have ended with Barbara just... They had a match, They should have had a match with those two towards the end of that storyline, and basically, Bubba would just turn to look at Devon, and he'd say to Devon, tell me to get the tables instead. And then they do that, and then they hug it out, and then it's all good between them. That would have been a great way know, to end it. Good storyline concept, and... Teddy Long's
1: a great guy to do it, and so is D'Lo. And I think Rodney Mack had the storyline play it off better. Could have been a major star off the back of it. But as we know, doesn't really go too much of anywhere. Good for Jazz, though. But yes, it starts here. And I just wanted to put all that out there because I know we won't get a chance to cover
0: it. So a few other random matches happen. So Storm and Regal defeat the the Dudley boys. Uh, Kane and Rob Van Dam defeated Batista and Three Minute Warning in a three on two handicap match. Hmm. Uh, Test and Trish Stratish defeated Stephen Richards and Victoria in a mixed tag. Hold on, why isn't Stacy with Test here? She was with Test, but she was accompanying them both at ringside.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that's a hat on a hat. I, I, you know, you could have put Steph, uh, Stephanie, you could have put Stacy in the tag match, just have her. Well, they wanted Test to, to win. win.
0: But yeah, it has to get right. That's true. Um, and then the only other thing there was there was a few like build up matches leading towards a um a world tag team title rematch, which was going to take place in the next week. Um, but this involved Goldust doing a Goldie Claws segment backstage, where he was essentially dressed as Santa Claus. He gave Booker T the his half of the world tag team titles. He and then Christian came in to mock them both, and so Goldust gave him, him his presence, which was. A tub of new and improved ice cream. cream. yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know what's funny is there are certain storylines that just stick with you, and as soon as you said Christian, I said, this is the ass cream. Mm. Oh. Yeah, it's... Uh, they had a weird... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Affinity steamer. for ass cream for a while. That was a thing that they kept going back to.
0: Yeah, it's um, not exactly my
1: sense of humor
0: but well yeah my i i can't say that i'm i'm very endeared towards the idea of ass cream i don't even know what is the ass cream for is it to make your ass look better is it to is it hemorrhoid cream is it pile stuff i don't know
1: (laughs) i've never thought of that that deeply i do wish somebody would explain it because again that is something they kept drawing back to so who was walking around with ass cream
0: that it became a thing yeah, and why would you call it ass cream as well? You'd call it something that would kind to escape the fact that this is ass cream, surely. You'd probably call it like. Um, Backside butter or something. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Just, just just something that makes it clear that, hang on, what you've just purchased may or may not be ass cream. It's just. Yeah. It's just, it's just like they don't call, I don't know, they call like um some sort of medication like gonorrhea be gone or something like that. They don't call it like. <laughs> Um, gone will... as if like you put the word gone at the start of it that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> i will say this is the beginning of a really
1: bad six months for christian and he hey, does he... not find himself until judgment day 2003 mm.
0: so well, let's talk about this episode of smackdown then december 19th 2002 from the saint pete times forum in tampa florida yeah they're uh they're stomping grounds currently saint petersburg yeah, so there's a long opening video package emphasising Kang will defeat the Big Show Armageddon, Brock Lesnar's involvement in all of this. Honestly, the video package goes about like two and a half, three minutes. It's ridiculous how long that one was.
1: Hey, just in case you're not watching our pay-per-views, here's no incentive to do so.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they didn't show any footage of the actual match itself. They just showed all of the build-up towards it and then showed images of the, the match. So you still That's haven't fair. seen that match yet. Um, if you haven't bought the pay-per-view. Uh, they also promised to air some of the controversial Dormery and Tory Wilson footage on SmackDown, as well as an interview with Tori later on in the show. So uh, Decent hooks.
1: Uh, these are really the best hooks SmackDown has right now, so what are you going to do? Uh,
0: Kurt Angle comes up to a uh, massive ovation as the new free time WWE champion. Remember when free time WWE champion actually meant something? Yeah, and to be clear,
1: he's a three-time WWE champion and i feel like it's been forever since he's had his last reign it's been a, like what a solid year the belts have split since then it feels like a whole different company did find it interesting that he did not bother
0: to get the nameplate changed no that is interesting uh, i guess it's just uh, maybe it's the, it was the holiday season maybe they just yeah maybe they were with just lazy time. with it yeah i don't know I just mean that like maybe the engravers just a biz of like just an in date with other stuff at this point so i'm like Everyone's busy over the holidays. Um, Angle glokes about being champion again, but he admits that he didn't win his title on his own. He thanked Brock Lesnar for keeping his promise. Lesnar's music immediately plays. He comes out. Um, Angle thanks him face-to-face, but he knows that Brock doesn't want to thank you. He wants the most anticipated match in WWE history, those two fighting for the WWE Championship.
1: Now, yeah. that's that's a lot of hyperbole at that yeah. point I, I love these matches but this is not the most anticipated match ever although when we get
0: there it is a really good one absolutely uh angle says the match is brock's anytime in any place he wants it which is ideal for brock because he says that he wants the match tonight angle says that sounds great but it can't happen tonight because he's already signed to be in a match with chris benoit but he promises that the match will take place next week instead Uh, Brock is clearly frustrated about this, but he eventually shakes Angle's hand, accepts his challenge, and we seemingly have a WWE Championship match set for next week's SmackDown. Not for long. No. And you know how stupid that would have been as well? Because that match would have taken place on uh, December 26th. Day after Christmas, nobody would have been
1: watching. Exactly. But you know what? I'll, I'll tell you the truth right now. It's something they would do
0: today. Very, well, yeah, they've got to try and do anything today, really. Um, SmackDown's on Christmas Day this year, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, it's, I'm sure that's going to get a lot of views. <laughs> the lowest rated episode of SmackDown in Fox history. <laughs> Calling yeah. it right now. Um, during the break, Big Show tears up his locker room next to like a terrified Paul Heyman. He demands to know why Brock is getting the first shot at Angle. He grabs Heyman by the face, tells him that he wants Angle. Demands that he gets the first shot angle instead. Heyman says that he has a guaranteed way to make that happen. Um, Heyman says that he's always got a contingency plan. He's got the greatest of them all here tonight. And Cho says that he wants his shot fast. And he like punches the locker for emphasis. So Big shows one angry giant right now. Yeah, it seems like a very rash human being. Uh, we have the night's opening match, which is Eddie Guerrero versus Billy Kidman. Um. Yeah. Yeah, do you want to to just give a little bit of an overview of this? Uh, I mean, listen,
1: Eddie Eddie and Kidman, Eddie is in a place right now where, honestly, I think he's closer to the world title than some of the others in the more recent Fatal 4 way. But I don't know, this this doesn't do it for me, Cal.
0: No, so over with a, a, a backstage promo of Charvo calling Billy Kidman a cheater, which is, I guess, a prelude to the fact that Eddie and Charvo are going to move into the lie cheat and steal gimmick soon. Um, Eddie immediately jumps Kidman, but he's then launched in top turnbuckle by a monkey flip. Um, Eddie delivers a lot of like forearms and elbows to Kidman, because that's kind of like his forte at the moment, the rapid forearm, el- back elbow, forearm, back elbow. Um, he then goes for a frog splash really early on, rolls through it. Kidman hits an Inzaguri. Um Taz actually mentions on the um, commentary that Eddie is not a cruiserweight, which is
1: I'm guessing a dig at
0: WCW because they like to do that. Yeah, so maybe also due to the fact that Eddie is steroided up to the gills, so he, that's kind of
1: not as okay, not as bad
0: as he was at the end, but no. very, very big here. Um, Chavo tries to interfere that Kidman isn't able to knock him off the apron, while but at the same time performing a springboard bulldog to Eddie. Uh, Kidman hits the shooting star press, but Chavo pulls him off the cover, for, away from the referee's view. Kidman fights him away, but then he's nailed by a splash mountain bomb by Eddie, and is pinned. You, you know, know what I wins. like about that? For, in every video game on the Nintendo 64, that's his finisher.
1: Never, never saw him... Utilize it as finisher until this very match,
0: yeah. I well, I just love the idea of and uh, it maybe it's not so good for this one because Kidman is Cruiserweight champion, he should be protected a little bit more. But wrestlers should win matches with just transitionary moves more often. Well, yeah, like, it not it... not roll ups or anything like that or small packages, they should win by using like uh, trying to give some examples like Kenny Omega should win matches using the um, future. Yeah, the V-trigger or the um, that German suplex move that he does when he, you get him up for the one angel spot but then throw him over with a German suplex instead. They should win matches with moves that aren't their finisher all the time because it makes the finisher, like, it makes them feel like other things that could potentially win in the match, when they kick out of it, it means something rather than you're just waiting for the one-winged angel. You're just waiting for the, um. in, in Indy's case, the frog splash.
1: I, I enjoy the idea of hey, this match can end at any time, and then when they break out the Frog Splash or the One-Winged Angel or whatever it may be, it means
0: more. So, yeah, it's a really, really short match. It was all action. Really but, short. Yeah, this was match went just shy of three minutes. Can um, you imagine them doing that today? Um, No, they've got three hours to fill most yeah, of the show. Yeah, so. I can't. Like... Um, Chavo attacks Kidman briefly post-match until Eddie pulls him away, so they seem to be building towards another Chavo Guerrero shot for the Cruiserweight title. Um, I think
1: uh, Chavo, great Cruiserweight champion. I wish while Eddie was alive, he would have been elevated higher, mm. but
0: it is what it is, you know? Um, so Matt Hardy enters Stephanie at Man's office. Stephanie asks what happened to Hardy's eye because he's sporting a shiner over his left eye. Um... Matt says that it was due to a bunch of uh, MFers swarming him in a hotel lobby. Okay. Uh, do you want to know the real reason why you got that shiner? I assume it involves a fight at a bar. No, it happened in a match, uh, fortunately enough. Um, well, I say fortunately enough. Um, it happened in, during a house show match with Chuck Palumbo, where Ooh. Chuck Palumbo was supposed to miss with a. You know, he does that um, spinning fist, the yeah. discus punch. So he was supposed to miss with it. And Hardy was supposed to duck it, but Hardy didn't move in time. And because it was supposed to miss, Plumbo put a lot of force into it. Yeah, he put a lot of force oh. into it, so yeah. <laughs> so Oof. I don't know, like, obviously whose fault it was in that mind, but essentially it was just, like, a bit of bad circumstance. So that's what Matt Hardy gets his injured eye. Uh, Stephanie says that Matt has a match late tonight with Lesnar. Matt says that he still wants to compete despite the injury, reminding Steph of Brock's attack a few weeks ago. Um, He then shares some uh, mathematics about how he's greater than Brock, even with one
1: eye. Okay.
0: I, I have to say, Matt Hardy in this gimmick is
1: becoming one of my favorite things to just go through every week on this podcast. And I like the fact that he's kind of bringing back the same douchebag mentality today and having watched this stuff.
0: It's so much more fun to see. Yeah, Matt Hardy version one is a terrific heel gimmick. It's one that doesn't get the praise that it so rightly deserves. And it's, again, just more reinforcement of the fact that I always hope that Matt Hardy was better than Jeff.
1: I think he was. I think Jeff, unfortunately, had that like an intangible thing that just makes certain wrestlers explode. But it's called Matt... drug addiction. Oh
0: jeez. I Matt had that for a while as well, but you know, so. yeah. I mean,
1: but even that didn't work out for him. And at least Matt had the fundamentals down more than any other.
0: Yeah. So we move on from that to John Cena versus Chuck Palumbo. Uh, maybe John Cena gets a shiner in this match. Uh, so Palumbo is given the jobber entrance, so we know which way this is going straight away. Um, John
1: Cena wants you to know that lugs are the boots with
0: attitude, according to his shirt, at least. Yeah. So Cena wraps his way to the ring, um, saying they're ninjas in fugonomics and how the, the buccaneers are queers. <laughs> uh, he notes how everyone's sister calls him Leprechaun because they're after his lucky charms. Okay. I,
1: John Cena, watching this early stuff where he's just calling people queers and uh, we won't see it, but at some point he just starts going, yeah, and by the way, Michael Cole is gay. We, we don't get that far in the character. But watching this older Cena is so much fun because he's such a symbol of purity now that watching this just feels like, oh, you were going through things, John.
0: Yeah, and I'm just um I'm just I'm just slightly annoyed about the fact that he's clearly stealing Matt Castor's gimmick.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah,
0: it's just like, same rapping quality too. Yeah, Cena came back from the year. Uh, 2020 he decided oh that rap gimmick is the thing that get me over I just like the idea of Cena like being a washed up wrestler in, in another alternate reality and so then he sees what Max Caster is doing manages to get a time machine go back in time and become the biggest star in wrestling history well that's why of that he's the prototype he's half man half machine he's just he can do that sort of thing yeah and then Max Caster who's going to become the biggest thing in wrestling this just becomes a, a rip off of John Cena in the process I love that idea Um, I mean, we're going back in time. Why can't anyone else? Um, Palumbo does a um, a hip toss turn into, like, Cena was going to go for a hip toss and Palumbo, he turns that into a side slam. He turned into
1: India like he just fell.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, just fell (laughs) straight down. It wasn't exactly the clunkiest. Well, it was pretty clunky. Um, Buchanan hits uh, Palumbo at ringside with Cena distracting the referee. There's a big Boston sucks chant breaks out in Florida. Yeah, Uh, that's fair. (laughs) Palumbo, well, You can talk. Uh, (laughs) Blumbo hits a belly black suplex and a discus punch. So he does hit the discus punch. He's not been uh, awarded away from doing that yet. And Cena sells that pretty well. He does the classic Cena bump that I recall whenever he's hit with like a punch or something like that. Like he stalls for a second and then just crumples straight down. Yeah. He would keep doing that for his, I think, his whole career. Yeah. Old habits die hard. Uh, Plumbo hits a crossbody, but Cena awkwardly rolls through, grabs the tights, and pins him. I think the mistake here is that the man who
1: is much bigger is going for a crossbody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know where they really see Plumbo at the moment, because he's a babyface, but he's bigger than most of the people on the roster. So, he's doing, like, the babyface, high-flying stuff, even though he's significantly bigger than everyone else, pretty much.
1: Yeah, Um, which, unfortunately for him, he never finds his place. But John Cena here moves as though he's never been in a ring. And when you look at this early Cena, I can't imagine that he was like the best
0: prospect from OVW at a time. No, and it's, well, yeah, you just look at him with this, where he's clearly not found himself yet. And he's clearly still developing in the ring and all this other stuff. And you kind of feel like, I mean, yeah, at another point in time, he would just be another Ted DiBiase Jr. Yeah. If anything, Ted DiBiase was more polished when he came up to the main roster than the Cena was. I would actually agree with that. Um, so, Plumbo punches Cena post-match because he's a sore loser. And so, B-Squared dives in with a punch with the steel chain to knock Plumbo out. And to establish
1: uh, that he is the heel because he used a weapon.
0: Yeah. Uh, Rikishi then attacks, appears and attacks both of them at ringside. He drags Cena into the ring for a brawl. He sets him up for the band's eye drop until B-Squared drags Cena away to safety.
1: I think he was supposed to set him up for the stink phase and Cena fell.
0: Yeah, so he decides to go for that instead. And, but but yeah, that's just um, building good up the uh, matches between Cena and. Good for and Kishi uh... though. Quick on the draw because I really do feel like
1: that was a mistake on John's part. Mm. But it, it's funny to see John Cena in such a throwaway rivalry. You know, it never, I never fully
0: grasped that. So they show a clip of Dawn Marie and Air Wilson arguing over, showing the footage at Armageddon. Uh, Cole then promotes how this footage was barred from appearing from SmackDown previously, but now they're going to air it here tonight. Just setting us up for disappointment. <laughs> and it was barred from being aired on SmackDown. Like, is he trying to
1: go into the
0: think Yeah, I think it's kind of like a bit of a reality stuff because obviously they, they didn't want to air the footage on SmackDown uh previously but they decided okay we'll we'll take this small snippet from it where you don't actually get to see like any action whatsoever and we'll show you don't
1: get to see any action whatsoever period no but the very
0: the very small fraction of action you do get to see at armageddon they can't even show on this one so like after the break tory sits down for a satellite interview supposedly from boise they then show the exact same video package from the feud they used at armageddon and the smackdown prior to that as well And they played 15 seconds of footage from the hotel scene, which doesn't include any of them actually, like, making out or anything like that.
1: Which is stupid,
0: because this footage, more than anything that
1: has happened between these two women, makes Dawn look like a sexual
0: predator. Mm. This
1: is the clip that they isolated, so what the fuck? Yeah.
0: Uh, So Cole says that it must have been a difficult week for Tori, but Tori says that she doesn't feel humiliated, but she feels proud and because she loves her father so much that she's willing to do anything to protect him.
1: Why wasn't that your
0: reaction last week when you fucking, like, attacked Don? Yeah, I guess it's like that's that's like an in-the-moment thing that she is worried about that, but then when it actually happened, she had a chance to reflect on it and grow as a person in a week. I love that, like, the storyteller in you
1: wants this to be logical. It's just, it's not. Listen, <laughs> like,
0: it, like, WWE in the past, like, however many years, it makes you try and make own stories in your head because you have to try and justify your reason that's for watching. Happening. Yeah, because otherwise. It's their job. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's the, I know it's their job. But it's just the idea of, well, if I can't justify me watching this and spent devoting so many hours of my life to watching this shit if I can't justify it in my own mind. I think that's a dilemma that basically I don't want to say 90%, but a good proportion of wrestling fans struggle with on a daily basis, of trying to make logic out of something which basically falls no, down to the whims of one like demented 70-something year old man.
1: Well let me tell you something here, he's a demented 50-something year old man and it's
0: still lacking logic. Yeah, they say do this thing where um Tori says that she's ashamed of her father and that he's broken her heart. But it's like his choice how he decides to live his life. Um, Tori then mentions about the fact that she's a very sexual person. Okay. Uh, but but and Dawn will soon find out how much of a predator she can be when they take apparently when she takes her own in the ring at some point. Um, what? Dawn, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the phrasing she wants to put it. It's just the idea of like, um, like I understand what
1: that, they thought they were saying, but well, they... yeah,
0: yeah, but it's just the way of like the, the, the way that she says this thing about like saying, like, um. Oh, I'm not like as far as me being a sexual predator, I would be the first to admit that I'm a very sexual person. It's just like, come like, on, oh, so dude. gross. Like, who's who talks about themselves in that way? Like, who's, maybe, who's ever described maybe the
1: same person who allowed a fan to enter the arena with a sign pointing down at themselves? It's a sexual prey. <laughs> I I, I, forgot, just... I forgot about that. <laughs> I do want to acknowledge here that in real time, Calum and I are children watching this, and it's very awkward to look back now and go, we're being influenced by some awful, awful things.
0: Yeah, I know. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just bizarre. And like that, I said, I know some people don't like it when we get on our high horse about the way like women are treated in this thing. And I do believe there is obviously scope for not just, just like having women's wrestlers in the same way. You could just have like the quote unquote eye candy, like women on the show in the same way that you, you can have eye candy men on the show as well. You appeal to audience in that regard. It's like, um it's not like almost is wrestling or anything like that. I know he's not there for eye candy, but he's just there as a big physical presence. It's just like, he's not wrestling. Right. It's just like, so there is room for both, but it's just the idea of, how Tory is just, I mean, they are just being treated like sexual objects at this point. And time. I mean, to even have
1: Tory say, oh, but I know I can be very sexual. It's like, but that's not what you're going for here. And then again, that sign in the crowd that just a sexual prey, like that's an awkward way to promote. One's self and one's product. It's just yeah, it's strange. It, it, I mean, it,
0: again it's also the things that we talk about, the polarity of the wrestling audience as well, because they cheer and get excited about women taking their clothes off and women acting sexual on screen, but then one of the biggest chance they will aim at a woman that's a heel is that she's a slut.
1: It's like But I, like, I think what and,
0: do you want, people?
1: <laughs> and to be clear, that's not like specifically related to wrestling. That's because we don't We were all taught, like, hey, this thing is super hot. We should want it. But also, it should be shamed. It's it's just very... We we all have a very warped relationship with that kind of thing, but not nearly as much as Vince McMahon.
0: No, absolutely. The leaves in the vagina. Uh, (laughs) 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 Re-listen to uh, 2001 for the context. 2001, wrestling odyssey. All the context is there um i believe that was the uh, either february or march edition That's they they um so um so dawn and al wilson come out uh, dawn calls tori both a sexual predator and a jealous nymphomaniac um saying that she's <laughs> jealous because nobody loves her the way that dawn and al love each other uh they say their relationship is sacred and they'll, they'll never lie to each other and they talk all the time from their early morning breakfast chats to their late night sexual encounters <laughs> Just like, again, this fucking verbiage is like, who says late night sexual encounters? It's just like,
1: Uh, I don't know. It makes me, it does make me wonder if Vince McMahon at one point in his life actually spoke like this.
0: Yeah, maybe it's just the fact that he grew up in like, again, that North Carolina or South Carolina suburb. And so he basically goes to every single effort to try and use verbiage, which makes him sound intelligent and thought provoking, But actually makes him sound like he's not human. Yeah. Uh, so Dawn says that um, he's, she's always been confident that Al has never seen a more beautiful woman than her and that uh, she has never seen a more handsome VRR man than Al Wilson. Uh, crowd chants slut towards Tori, not Tori, Dawn, mm, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, says that she'll get married on Smackdown in two weeks time, so the first episode of 2003, we'll see the uh, wedding segment. Uh, Tori says they deserve each other, takes the microphone off and walks away. It's Isn't it, it, it. I would say it's it's not nearly over, but the big thing is like is is very close. So the big
1: that. thing is over, and we're very close to it all being over. And I think the saddest thing to me is Tori comes off as just a confused person because her relationship with her dad, and after this, John Marie is an afterthought. So it's like, did any of this need to happen?
0: So they show clips of Lesnar and Hardy warming up for their match backstage. We have uh, Brock Lesnar, supposedly against Matt Hardy. So among yeah. the, uh, I don't usually bring up the ad reads, but among the ad reads that Collins has Taz do alongside like the SmackDown, Shut Your Mouth and all this other stuff, is for the Metroid Prime sweepstakes, where if you win, then you can win a dinner with a WWE superstar in your hometown. Ooh. And I was thinking, mm. maybe no, I, don't to, I was going to make a Ready Taster joke and I'm not going to do it. I will tell you off air. For <laughs> Fair, <laughs> enough. So, Fair um, enough. See, I caught myself there because tone, I don't want Tony to be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's fine. Um, so Matt uh, comes out. He's uh, joined by uh, Shannon Moore, who's now back in his V1 attire.
1: Yes, he's uh, found
0: an attitude again. It's like, a, it's like a true religion. You find it randomly. Yeah, so uh, Shannon Moore, um, essentially Mahal, clutching his eye. And he's not clutching the eye that is injured. He's clutching his other eye during this. Um, also, want to bring up the fact that uh, we're reliably informed that Matt has wrestled in 44 states. Oh, good. Can you what think of which say? state? Do you think he's caught the other six? Um, nowadays, I still wonder whether they've ever done Alaska. That's like the big one for me. I, I think eventually they do Hawaii because Hawaii's fun. But why would you ever want to go to Alaska to wrestle? You know, I know for a fact they have done Hawaii.
1: I don't know if Matt was on the card, but I don't think they've done Alaska. And it's probably like something like Idaho or something. It's probably like a really
0: rural Midwest state. So uh, Matt talks about the fact that he got something on his eyes on the way to the ring, so now his vision is highly impaired. But <laughs> um, yeah, so basically both his eyes are injured now, so he can't wrestle Brock. But he says that he found Brock a replacement, which is Shannon Moore, much to Moore's surprise. And well, Matt, just what did he broke... think he was kind of out there for? We're well, just there to support Matt Hardy, but um, but he decides to Matt just tosses Shannon Moore into the ring, and Brock just tosses him away sends him into a corner he talks trash towards matt hardy that allows more to hit him with a drop kick and throw a few punches to lesnar and then lesnar just belly to belly suplexes more over the top rope and to essentially the foot of the entrance ramp lesnar is amazing i know a
1: lot of that's on shannon but lesnar is a freak of nature i think he could toss somebody that far
0: and then they just do a bit more in the ring because i think hardy just tosses more back into the ring uh brock gets him off on his shoulders And spins around at rapid pace, like he does a full 360 degrees before throwing more into the air for a a super F five. Essentially, that's pretty much like an F ten. I love that, and then makes the pin. It was short but incredibly entertaining, considering the fact there was only like three moves in the entire match.
1: But I love that because Brock Lesnar should do
0: a crazy, powerful F five to somebody the size of Shannon Moore. So when Brock leaves, Matt feels confident enough that he can get into the ring to break more and tell him how he should have done better in that match. Uh, But Brock then charges the ring, uh, hits Matt Hardy with an F5 of his own for good measure, and, yeah, again, Brock's great. Matt Hardy's great. All this stuff is great.
1: Yeah, Brock is really good here. Brock, it's crazy to think he's been back for nine years, and Mm. it hasn't touched one drop of this run at least in my opinion it's good
0: for what it is but this run is incredible i still hold the the 2014 to the 2014 run like his first run with the WWE championships it's coming back i think that's his best run with the company in my opinion probably the most complete run yeah yeah but this one this this stuff is definitely great as well it's definitely more of like him just being a wwe wrestler as opposed to brock lesnar but uh but yeah, this is all great. So backstage, Stephanie approaches Kurt Angle, who's been watching it on the monitor. Angle says that he can't wait to face Brock next week. But Stephanie tells him to cut the crap. He says that he needs to go to the ring and set the record straight or she'll do it for him. Uh, he initially like plays dumb, saying he has no idea what she's talking about. But Stephanie then teases going to the ring and Angle just relents and says, OK, I'll do it instead. So then we get the, the basis of the big talking point from this night, which is Angle comes to the ring, says that he's guided by the three eyes, and that includes integrity, and that he can't, um, like, so he has to come clean and be honest with everyone. Says that It isn't up to him to face, like, he would say that he would fight Brock and Benoit at the same night, but he's now being led by representation. And Angle says that if anyone represents himself, has a fool for a client, so Angle is no fool. So he hired a management team a week before Armageddon, to look out for his best interests and manage his contract <laughs> negotiations.
1: <laughs> Son of a bitch. That, that dirty, rotten Paul Heyman is just making these deals a week before the one client faces the other. Hopefully after he got his ass kicked.
0: By... Well, that's what I was going to say. That's like, like it's n- clearly not a week because so Heyman willingly allowed Kurt Angle to take that backbreaker spot. And hit, get hit by chokes lands by the big show and stuff like that. Like, if it was the Friday after that SmackDown, in what, like in the kayfabe land, there's just the idea of like, oh, that Friday, Angle yeah. said, okay, I need to talk to you about this. I've got a big plans and stuff like that. It's just, then that makes total sense. But saying a week beforehand, a week before Armageddon, it's just like, okay, so you took all this stuff from Big Show and A Train with them not knowing or not even thinking about doing it. And then the, the idea of that, that at Armageddon itself. A-Train attacks Kurt Angle. Obviously, Heyman has that shot look on his face like he didn't expect that to happen. So maybe he didn't expect that to happen, but it's just just Angle doesn't really seem to know what's going. Yeah, it just seems that the timeline's a little bit inaccurate for me. They, they
1: should really just say Paul Heyman is following the belt as soon as, you know, as soon as Kurt Angle won the match, Paul Heyman said, I have a deal for you. That would but, be a lot easier to explain than anything else.
0: But then they confuse it even more because Heyman comes out, he's got a massive smile on his face, says Heyman basically says that he'll never allow Lesnar to get close to the WWE Championship ever again and says that him and Angle have been in cahoots all along from the moment Angle asked Brock to be in his corner, which was three weeks ago. Yeah. So, And that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever for like, he- hey ho, all that other stuff. But um, um, Eventually, the only way
1: I guess I got to deal with you know, we were just talking about the, the Tory thing and make our own logic. The only way I can see this working is the line of communication was opened after Kurt Angle asked Brock Lesnar to be in his corner. And then they solidified a deal after he won the title officially.
0: Yeah, I, I guess that, that could be true. So, um so, heyman, congratulations Angle for playing Lesnar like a uh, in his first act as Angle's agent, uh, Hayman says that Angle's match with Lesnar is postponed indefinitely. So Angle, because Angle wants to pursue any other challenger. So that's about it. Um, Big Show's music hits, and I love the expression on Big Show's face for this. Uh, say what you want about Knucklehead and the other stuff that Big <laughs> Show's done in terms of like his, his movie and TV um, uh, ability to act and stuff like that. But he comes out, and I am... Like, from the look of his eyes, I would be... If a guy his size came to be looking the way that he did, I would shit myself. Literally yeah. and figuratively. <laughs>
1: it's yeah.
0: like, like, he looked wide-eyed. He looked absolutely intensely furious about what Haman was doing. Because, essentially, he's played the Big Show like a fool as well. Because Big Show had no idea Angle was his agent. So, essentially, Angle... Like... Heyman was representing both guys in the WWE Championship match at Armageddon. And so, of course, he feels betrayed. He, he corners Heyman. He talks about, like, the betrayals happen. But Heyman is so... Well, at one point, Angle teases that he's going to hit show with the bell. But Heyman is such a weasel, such a conniving, evil son of a bitch, that he's able to manipulate the dumb giant again. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, because that...
0: they're really doing, like, you're a dumb giant. <laughs> yeah, because he basically talks about the fact that Show's still his favorite client. Angle knows that. And now, because now they have a trio, they have the WWE Championship, they have two of the biggest stars under his like leadership. They have more leverage and more bargaining power on SmackDown than anyone has ever had before. And, yeah. so, and so he says, with the bargaining power they now hold, he'll march backstage and he'll demand that Angle defends the title next week against Big Show instead of Brock Lesnar. Um, Angle gets frustrated about this so Heyman is now like, in a situation where he's trying to placate both of their egos but he says that they'll hold all the power whether regardless of whether Angle or Big Show is champion as long as the title never gets back to Brock and that is his 100% concern well he's got two concerns, one that is that he always holds the WWE Championship and two, Brock Lesnar never gets the WWE Championship back, and it doesn't matter who he has to use in the meantime to get there those are his two goals It's yeah. very very consistent with his character uh, sure, Paul uh, Heyman, honestly,
1: I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him do something like this now.
0: Oh, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd see him do that with Reigns and Lesnar. I think that, that would, would right. it'd be a lot of fun,
1: you know? And he's a good weasel. He's a very, very good weasel.
0: Yeah. Um. There's a really weird camera editing at this part of the segment where... Heyman's saying things, but they're just cutting the camera to big show and angles, facial expressions, and they're not showing Heyman deliberately. And I don't know why that is.
1: There's this um, weird thing
0: where they just keep cutting the screen. And, and and the footage you can see of Heyman is clearly not him saying the lines that he's saying on the show, but it's just like some really, really weird camera editing. I don't know what they, they were They probably forced some wild lines. Maybe, yeah. Um, so they all shake hands, they all hug and stuff like that, and they end this segment so... Big Show is now totally cool with not being WWE champion anymore. He's um, back working with Heyman. Heyman now has the two biggest heels on the roster at this point under his tutelage. So, yeah. I I would like it to make more just sense, but the outcome is still fine. And compared to 2020 booking, it's a masterstroke, but still, it's just like I still would hope that it would have made more sense at this point.
1: Yeah, but. They accomplished the long-term goal they needed
0: to accomplish, even if it's convoluted as all hell. Uh, so now, like from that confusing segment, to one that just completely baffles me, which is Jamie Noble and Nunzio versus Bill Martin and Crash Holly. So, do you remember last week where Nunzio made his debut by helping Jamie Noble attack Crash Holly? I do. So it makes total sense to me that they would have a tag team match against a team that involves Crash Holly. Makes total sense to me. But they decide, for some reason, to jam into this mix the fact that they want pushing Bill DeMott as an undefeatable monster. And so, rather than having Crash Holly team with a guy that could easily take a pinfall loss, like Funaki, or I don't know at this point in time, like even like Palumbo is like a big guy that's losing all the time or something to that effect. They decide. Now nah, let's put in the guy that's just crushing everybody at any point in time, and so Demott essentially the reason why he's tagging with Holly is that he liked the fact that his cousin Hardcore has a bad attitude and bullied people in tough enough just like he did. <laughs> and well, so they tried, but you know, they tried. They tried to explain it. I can. Oh remember. yeah, they tried to explain that. I don't. I don't mind that sort of thing. But then Demott orders Crash to the apron, and then Demott just beats the holy hell out of both these guys. He just destroys both of them, essentially, in a two-on-one handicap match. He throws all of them around. Um, He forces, like, a prone, defenceless Noble to tag in Nunzio, and then Nunzio to tag in Noble and stuff like that. Like, he's forcing tags so he can beat up more people. Like, and then he hits a pop-up powerbomb on Noble and then nails his moonsoul and pins him. So Nunzio, on his first match on SmackDown since debuting and joining this coalition with Noble, which is supposed to re- the idea about behind this move, by the way, was to revitalise Noble's career because he was on a losing streak. Yeah, and but nobody cares about
1: cruiserweights, Carl.
0: No, nobody cares about it. But I care about... to makes sense. It's just like, oh no, this guy's big, so he has to beat up the two cruiserweights and win it single-handedly. It's like, these two just debuted, and their whole storyline is built around the fact that this is supposed to revitalise Noble and give him some wins back. And he lost easier than he's lost any other match that he's had in this run so far. It's like wow, really great job bringing Nunzio in. That's really, like, shored things up for you. And then to pull it all off, Crash goes to, like, fist-bump DeMott and con- congratulate him for the victory, even though he had no part in it. And so DeMott decks him, hits another Soul, and, yeah, so he destroys all three p- other people in this match. But you missing also- the best part. The Where best part? is Bill DeMott by the Royal Rumble? Um, I believe at the Royal Rumble itself. Obviously, we'll review that as part of our... Um, Patreon exclusive content, but if you want a little bit of a spoiler, I believe he gets caned multiple times in the head by Tommy Dreamer and Edge and thrown out at like the, the fourth person to eliminate be eliminated in the Royal Rumble or something. There you go, pal. Yeah, and yeah. and after that, Good he's booking. Absolutely, yeah, and after that, he's absolutely nowhere. Uh, just he's waiting back on for, velocity,
1: yeah, Got just doing bad color commentary. This is dumb. This was hey, we're gonna throw this at the wall. And if it doesn't work, we're going to forget it by the new year,
0: and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, just waiting for that opportunity where he can victimize a bunch of young upstarts in NXT. Allegedly, at the very least. <laughs> but oh. throw that in there at the very least. That's fair. Uh, um. Oh, more terrible stuff. Ernest Miller's backstage as a, as a backstage interview. Have... Still better than Mark Lloyd. Yeah, that's true. Mark Lloyd is now nowhere to be seen. Oh yeah, he's but... not on the show, it's great. Um... I do. Well, to be fair, Ernest Miller was better because the only thing that he said in this entire Edge interview segment was, um, I'm here talking with Edge and somebody better call my mama. And then he just stops talking and just holds the, <laughs> the microphone up at Edge's face. <laughs> so that, <he> doesn't <laughs> even ask him a fucking question. He just says, Somebody better call my mama. And Edge <laughs> just goes with it. Well, did they call his mama or what? Edge said that he should call his mama because he, he's tell, so that someone needs to tell her about the ass kicking he's going to give the A train tonight. Um, Edge man. does. Yeah, Edge just does his party piece, which is essentially like explaining everything we see on TV every single week in a row. By saying, oh, he attacked my buddy Rey Mysterio, and then he attacked me and cost me a shot at the WWE Championship and blah de blah blah And then um, it's a better promo, but then he ends it by saying that A-Train's about to find out tonight that Edge is the little train that could. Which, to me, is kind of up there with the Finn Balor is a cat-style promo. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean... Get out of my railway station, Albert! Because I'm coming through with. The you choo-choo. may be a,
1: you, you may be the a-train, but I'm the little engine that
0: could. I think I can. That's, that's awful. Yeah, a uh, cat just nods along, never asks a question. Just there's edge while he's doing it. Um, apparently, at this point in time, there was a new um velocity um a uh, colour commentary team of um Josh Matthews and Ernest the Cat Miller.
1: Yep, and it's much better than Mark
0: Lloyd, at least for our shows. Um, so then we have Edge versus the A-Train. So after some early back and forth, Edge escapes the military press, but he lands on his hurt leg, and A-Train follows up with a chop block. Um, A-Train works over the knee for a while. Edge fights back until he's hit with a sidewalk slam, and then he's locked in a half Boston crab, and he's basically in that half Boston crab for half the match because that's the way they work working this um edge at one point shoves a train off the top turnbuckle connects him. it's not drop kick uh, a train kicks edge to stop a spear tent then hits a bicycle kick for two um edge drop kicks his way out of the bordo bomb that was a nice spot because he like he gets him up for the uh, bordo bomb and edge just he does you know, like that semi zane yeah when you lift him up in the air for something and then you just hit the drop kick in midair that's really good um he then ducks a closed line he hits spear and wins So now we're seeing at least the first sign in this run of the trope of let's do a disqualification at the pay-per-view and then give the actual finish away on TV. Yep. Yep. So, again, nowadays it makes sense because no one's watching pay-per-views anyway and nobody has a WWE network. But uh, (laughs) they were
1: probably already thinking that it's as bad as it's going to get back then.
0: Yeah, potentially. Um, It's an okay match, but it seems like an underwhelming way to draw the line under this feud. So, But that's what i say about it. A-Train already just feels like another guy on the roster. Yeah, and same thing as Bill DeMott, but with a little more success. Well, a little more longevity. I don't know if success is the right word, but definitely more longevity. Uh, uh, he's in the streak. That's success. Yeah, okay. A successful true. loser. Uh, Josh Matthews is outside Les's locker room. And in case you haven't been paying attention throughout the whole show, he just explains why Brock Lesnar might be angry about the whole Angle and Heyman alliance. It's like they're doing this thing now, just like like guys are just recapping the entire show, essentially, even though we're supposedly supposed to be watching the entire show. like We don't need you to tell us everything that's happened because spoiler alert, buddy, we've been watching it.
1: That's a bad trope WWE has where they're constantly we said they're not self-aware, but they are. Because they think at all times that nobody's watching their programming. It's, yeah, it's they're not even watching strange. it at the
0: start. They're not even watching it at the start of the show. Like, someone's tuned in at like um, just before the main event and he has to explain everything to them.
1: You ever see that thing where like five minutes in, five minutes left in the show, they're like, if you're just tuning in, it's well, if you're just
0: tuning in, you missed out. Yeah, good, uh, good job. You missed out on the whole show. And I actually mean good job with that thing. I mean that, like, legitimately, like, really good. You, you, Why did you even bother tuning in at all? You've just given yourself five minutes of pain for no reason. Yeah. Uh, after the break, Benoit's warming up backstage. Then they return. Outside uh, Lesbos' locker room, Matthews does even more explanation about what we've seen, and then Brock steps out. Matthews asks him what his state of mind is. Uh, Brock intimidates Matthews and then says, that's a good question, and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> Brock admitting that he's a bumbling buffoon. I will say, again, it's not Mark Lloyd, but at least Mark Lloyd asks questions and sometimes got answers.
1: Well, I, I think we're going in a different direction here where they're more robotic. They they more so just do what we tell them to do. And uh, here, stand there and hold the microphone.
0: So we have the main event, which is a match that, God, we haven't seen before. Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. I <laughs> um... will never complain. I, no, I, it's hard not to complain, but it's just a case of I'm slightly worried that when we do review that match of Royal Rumble 2003, which is one of my favorite matches of all time, and it's one a match that I always go back to, I'm just worried that it's going to lose a bit of impact for me because I've just been... It feels like for the last three months, I've just been watching Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, and it's hard to complain about that. But at the end of the day, they do the same stuff pretty much all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, but my counterpoint to that would be... It's good, and it makes sense. They never do anything that doesn't make sense.
0: That is true. at least you have that. So, essentially, Angle walks out with Heyman. Commentary calls him a gutless liar now. Um, So I guess that match between Benoit and Eddie Armageddon wasn't actually a top contenders match after all, because it's seemingly Benoit is nowhere in the title picture at this point, at the very least. We know he gets there by the time Royal Rumble comes around, but... At this point, it's just who's going to get the next shot Brock Lesnar or big show? And actually it's neither of them. It's just Benoit. Um, yeah, Benoit was clearly a stopgap, and honestly they were going to use they used him
1: two months in a row uh, to just sort of further the feud between Brock
0: and Kurt Angle. So Benoit takes the initiative over Angle early. They brought around ringside um Angle does an like an awesome snap to belly throw to Benoit to cut off his momentum. Then starts just beating the hell out of Benoit, throws him around ringside. Heyman hits him with the title bell at one point. Uh Angle continues to beat down Benoit very physically, wraps him up in a choke. Um Benoit f- gets a few chops in, but then he's tossed by Joe and Tuplex. Um the, the uh the change of the hit momentum happens when Benoit re- reverses an angle slam into an arm drag, and then they do the double clothesline spot in the centre of the ring. I always like that spot. Yes. Um Benoit then goes for a triple German, but before he can land the third, Angle wraps his leg, applies the ankle lock, which is always like every single transition he does into an ankle lock is like just the best. And Especially at this time. I, you know, Kurt
1: Angle, because of their fucking pettiness about the fact that he spent, unfortunately, the bulk of his career with TNA, really gets downplayed. But he is... Like Shawn
0: Michaels level elite,
1: oh, yeah. you know, really good.
0: It, no, I will, I will stand by this side. Like, to my knowledge, at least right now, he's the greatest technical wrestler of all time. And I think, like, there's a very there's a I, I, there's a growing window of people that fill into that that gap. But for me, it's people. It's like ang, like in terms of just pure in ring quality. It's angles. It's Michaels. It's Guerrero. It's like it or over it. Benoit. It's Mysterio at certain points and things like that. It's uh Okada, it's omega there are people that caliber uh, just like head and shoulders above the rest i put them over people like, like i wouldn't even put edge into that category even though you got a lot better but they're just people that are just a just elite level of in-ring ability so yeah and angle's definitely among that group and benoit was along that group even though it's it's quite it's sometimes difficult to say in in a modern time and we've said this a lot on the show like it sucks because
1: you go back and you watch him and you just know that they're going like you want to put this guy over as one of the best wrestlers in the world and then
0: you go yeah but he's also a monster and that that's just awful so uh benoit sends him into the turnbuckle from the ankle lock he then hits four straight german cplexes um then he hits three more German suplexes afterwards. So essentially during this match he hits nine German suplexes on Kurt Angle. I think I um, think that's a you know again, if it ain't broke. Yeah. I know. Oh, I I actually enjoyed that side of things because they I liked the fact that they made Benoit to be like a legitimate big threat to Angle right out the I mean obviously we've seen that they've gone back and forth and Benoit's one matches and angle's one matches against each other, but they're showing how big of a threat he is to Kurt Angle immediately when he's new WW champion. Um then they do this unflattering angle close-up of Angle laying face down in the ring and snot blowing out of his nose, which was gross. Yeah, it's uh, quite the visual. Uh, Benoit then connects with the headbutt to the back of Angle's neck, and then he applies the crossface, but he breaks it when he... Essentially, his spider senses tingle, because there's no way he could tell that Big Show is getting into the ring, but he just senses that, okay, I should probably break the crossface now because I need to walk into a chokeslam. And well,
1: it, but if somebody that masks
0: the Big Show hits the ring, you just feel the. the you're gonna vibrations. feel that shit. Like you're yeah. gonna feel it. Yeah. So, uh, Big Show, Julie does get into the ring. He hits Benoit of a choke slam for the DQ. Quick as a flash, Brock Lesnar's in there. Uh, he charges in. He throws show an angle with to Bellies. I just again, I marvel at how he hits to Belly throws on the Big Show. Like I marvel as much on the strength of Lesnar as I am of the Big Show for willing to take that bump. But Who's I that? think
1: Big Show is arguably Brock Lesnar's greatest WWE opponent because he really put over how much of an anomaly
0: Brock Lesnar is. Mm. Um, he then grabs Heyman and he teases hitting Heyman with the F5 and the crowd is really pumped up for this. But Angle yeah. uh, clips his leg before he can hit it. Uh, angle show then double-team Lesnar. Angle hits an angle slam. Big Show hits a choke slam. They stand over Lesnar's broken body. Heyman yells that he'll never get close to the WWE Championship ever again. And that's how the show, that's how the show, as it stands at the moment, ends. Now, I say that at this point because what we'll talk about a little bit of next week's show is some video footage they show from after the camera's cut away here. Which is, which leads to essentially what we've been kind of, alluding to a couple bit of like news stories and stuff like that, which is the fact that Angle has been wearing a pretty big damn knee brace for a couple of months now. And that's yeah. the fact that he needs surgery on his knee. And so what they do in that uh, back, in this uh, post-Smackdown segment, which we'll see on the next show, is the injury angle that writes him off, which is, well, I guess you can spoil it here at the very least, which is Brock Lesnar fying him into the ring post. Great spot, one of my favorite. Brooklyn he doesn't do spots. that anymore.
1: I'm shocked. Yeah, he's, I don't I'm recall him ever doing that once. Yeah, since since he came, he came back. back, I don't know why he hasn't just like taken, like Seth Rollins or a smaller guy and just chucked him into the ring post. It would. have. I mean,
0: he did. He did f five Seth Rollins into a stretcher.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, he did do that. It oh, was that on the road to Summerslam or something like that. Yeah, that looked like he sucked. But no, suck for, Roll- suck for
0: Rollins sup for Rollins should I say it's like, it looked great but it looked like yeah that probably hurt quite a bit Brock Lesnar is the one dude
1: who could absolutely kill with a move like the f5 into the ring post.
0: so in terms of just the overall map the overall show I think that it was better than previous weeks it couldn't really have been much worse I think some of the matches again were just a bit like short and inconsequential and some of the booking and logic surrounding it was a little bit all over the place as well, but it feels like there's some good stuff going on with like the Kurt Angle new title reign, even though like him being managed by Heyman was a little bit odd edges on a bit of upward momentum now again. Um, yeah. Again, maybe it's just the thought of like knowing that the things with Tor- Tori and Dormery is going to come to a conclusion relatively soon. Maybe that's going to be a bit more positive, but I feel, I feel like at least in the main event side of things, things are looking upwards.
1: Yeah. And I also like, I would do it today. So I'll do it here. I give them a pass because it's December and everybody's creatively burnt out and probably just wants to go home.
0: Yep. But uh, we'll be back next week anyway, to um, review whatever the, um, the final episode of 2002, whatever that has in store. So Definitely, where they yeah. are
1: creatively burned out and do just go home
0: yeah for, while, for Christmas yeah but uh we'll be checking that one out and I hope that you'll be joining us as well for the next edition next Saturday but for now let's just toss out a few plugs before we're off on our merry way um which is like so main thing patreon of course, which is where we do our pay-per-view reviews as what well, alongside this thing so we recently did Armageddon 2002 we've got all the one stretching all the way back to Ven- Vengeance 2002. I believe that was our first one. So just check out all the other ones in there. If you're at the $10 tier or above, you subscribe to the dark casts, You'll be able to listen to all of those, but any amount of money that you're able to give, whether it's a buck, whether it's five bucks, whether it's a million bucks, do all that. And um, if it's a million bucks, then we thank you very much in advance, of course. Um, um, I mean, and remember, you know, Tony
1: always says $1 goes a long way if everybody who subscribed this channel could just donate a dollar to the patreon you'd have so much more content we would be able to actually earn an income from smart out moment which would mean so much more for you
0: guys and also tony's got a wedding so every little bit helps absolutely but there's other monetary ways that you can support us as well obviously there is the the membership on the youtube channel but there's also the red bubble and t public shops where you can pick up some smart out moment merchandise so t-shirts uh shower curtains masks anything to that effect just anything that can be branded with the smart count moment stuff on it then check that stuff out um there is the obviously check out the smart moment website with all the articles that are going up or our weekly stuff any other random pieces that are going up on there that's where you can keep track of the fantasy league and all this other great stuff that we're doing. Uh social media check us out on Facebook, on Twitter at SmarCount Moments. Uh, the Megamaniacs, as well, is on Facebook. It's our Facebook group where basically a bunch of like minded wrestling fans come together, shoot the shit about wrestling every now and again. We have little like chats that you can get involved with when we do pay per views, just little discussion forums as well, and stuff like that. So check that out. Uh, on Tony's other side of things, on the essentially the blue brand of the Tony Mango Empire, is Fanboys Anonymous, where he does all the geek culture stuff, movies, television. Uh not radio, of course. That's that's way, way, way long ago. Well
1: to be fair, we, we take care of the radio stuff for the podcast. It's basically yeah, just extended radio.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously video game stuff, all, all things like that, comic books, everything of that nature you'll find on Fanboys Anonymous. Check them out on Patreon as well, check out the website, check them out on Facebook and Twitter, Redbubble Tea Public, all that other great stuff. Um, Rob. Very busy man in wrestling nowadays. Uh, Next week is a big week for you.
1: I am basically, uh, starting now, I am full-time at Fightful.com. And what that means is you'll be seeing me a lot more alongside names like Jeremy Lambert and Sean Ross Sapp. Sean Ross Sap right now has an interview with Kevin Owens up. He's got other interviews coming soon. You'll be seeing coverage of Tables, Ladders, and Chairs. We'll have a review show of Tables, Ladders, and Chairs for you on the Spark Out Moment channel tomorrow night. So come back to hear me and Tony on that one. And just check out everything I'm doing over at DudeFelice on Twitter. And I thank you so much for all of your support.
0: Yeah, also, I apologize for not appearing on the prediction show a couple of days ago. I came down with a, a heavy case of needing to sleep. So yeah. I decided to do that instead. But in case anyone is interested, my prediction, my very short order predictions for the show at TLC, just so you know, is Drew McIntyre wins. Uh, Bray Wyatt wins. Nia Jackson, and Shayna Baszler win because Charlotte is Asuka's mystery partner. Um, Roman Reigns defeats Kevin Owens. Sasha Banks defeats Carmella. And the Hurt Business win the tag team championships. Very good. I'm, I'm, the one that I'm less, least um, confident about is the Baszler and Nia Jax one because they could just have Charlotte win because Charlotte's never been tag team champion before and Charlotte needs every belt ever. That's but, that's
1: uh, my prediction.
0: Yeah, so but that we'll see what happens in TLC. Obviously, hopefully you enjoy the post show with Tony and Rob. You can check me out on Twitter at Weekmeister14. And yeah, we'll see you next week for another edition of this. And yeah, the last edition of both 2002 and 2020. And we'll then be... Into 2021 and 2003, so a lot of things coming forward. Definitely on the on the second half of this journey, but still a lot more to bring you. So hopefully you you're here for to be able to listen to all of it. But for now, this has been another Smart Cat moment, and we're being counted out. Ah!